Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday. Oh, can you load this a little? I think it's the monitors. Um, Dr. Lambright just declared as he was walking in that it's not ever been this cold ever. <laughs> Which is not at all true. It just feels that way. That's all. As for me and my house, we will obey the Lord. We will obey the Lord. I think we're missing some classes, either that or everybody went home. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm especially glad you're here because Dr. Almost-to-be, because his paper's almost done, Professor Warrington is preaching this evening. And I always love to hear Dr. Warrington preach. We are, um, I, I don't usually do this because I, I hope the chapel services on the whole are significant enough for you that I don't have to promote them. Um, but once in a while we have special guests and I want you to be aware of them. Next Tuesday, uh, which is a night that maybe not some of you are here, um, we'll have a handbell choir uh, for the chapel service. Now, I know what you're already thinking. Hmm, hmm maybe I'll be busy Tuesday. Uh, I promise, I, I promise that they play music in ways that you've not ever heard before. The largest of the bells is this large, and the smallest is this big. And, and it will take 32 feet of table space to hold all of the instruments and the folks. So next Tuesday for chapel evening, uh, for next Tuesday evening's chapel, I want you to be a part of that. Well, good evening, everybody. Man, it's good to be here. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Um, I'd like to invite you tonight to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 tonight. If you would turn there for just a moment and uh, like to read verses 1 through 11 tonight. Amen. And uh, when you found it, say amen. 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 All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you that, uh, and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know and did not your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord your clothing did not wear out on you nor did your, sh your, your foot swell these forty years 
Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vineyards and trees and promanganates, a land of olive oil and honey. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Then we'll conclude with verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. The word of the Lord. Amen. When these words were spoken, Israel was at the parting of the ways. A change was imminent, both of leaders and of circumstances. Moses knew that soon he would, be, he would lay down the burden which he had carried for so long and so courageously. And that someone else would lead God's people. He knew also that soon they would change their circumstances of the wilderness for those of the land of Canaan. A land flowing, of course, with milk and honey. In this book of Deuteronomy, we have the final charges to the people. Charges, no doubt, resulting from experience and also of expectation. Standing among the people whom he loved so well, with whom he had so patiently borne, with whom he had been so righteously angry, he looked back over the years and on into all that he knew lay before them. Because, you know, the Lord had made known to Moses all of his ways. And he spoke to them out of the fullness of his heart. Moses recognized the influence of memory. And so in this closing message, he understood the, that properly stored, it would serve as a continual inspiration for the present endeavor, as well as one of the great forces that makes the future. Tonight I want to talk to us about memory. In the verse 2 of our text tonight, you shall remember, is the word that Moses spoke to them. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. You shall remember. 
In this call to remember, there is not only the historic setting of it and the philosophic basis for it, but the spiritual purpose of this text as well. Moses desired that their memory be directed to the supreme matters, urging them to look back, but to look back from the right perspective and to see things in the right relationship, that is, with God. To see the real things, the abiding things, the things that are really worth remembering. The word remember, translated for us from this text, quite literally means to mark. It's a marker. You shall mark all the ways which the Lord your God has led you. There is a beautiful pictorial suggestiveness of this word, to mark. It is that of a chart, a, a map if you please, or the way which certain facts were to be marked as therefore fixed upon their collective and upon their individual memories. They were to remember what God had done for them in the last 40 years of their journey. First, let us remember uh, the past in relation to God. In fact, in, a, in that very same chapter, I want you to go down to verse 14 uh, and read with me. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They were to remember, first of all, their past in relationship to God. We may note at least three things that Moses wanted them to remember from that past. The first is that God had delivered them from Egypt, the mighty deliverance from Egypt. They were to remember also God's leading through the desert. The different markers along this 40-year journey. They were to remember the guiding hand of God. The guidance, the leading of God. And then they were to remember the resources made available to them. God's resources placed at their disposal during their wilderness experience, all in the past. Let's take the first one for a moment, God's deliverance from Egypt. You see, the people had been brought out of Egypt and all of its bondage into freedom. When, when you read the Old Testament and listen to its teachings, you will discover how constantly the prophets and seers and psalmists took the people back to Egypt, reminding them of this great drama that took place, reminding them of the great deliverance of God. Uh, they were defined as a people of God when God brought them out of Egypt, not on their own, not on their merit, not on anything they had done. They were state slaves, they were, they were in bondage, they were miserable, they were wretched in Egypt. And God, through his mighty power, brought them out of Egypt. 
You see, their history really began when they were brought out of Egypt. They were formed as a people before they were a loose clan that came down to Egypt and multiplied. But they had no nation. They were just slaves uh, to Egypt. God brought them up. And in chapter 19 of Exodus, he says, You shall be a holy nation, my people, a kingdom of priests, the people belonging to God, my treasured possession. In chapter 20, Moses is up getting the manifesto for a nation, getting the commandments from God to rule their civic and spiritual lives. They were formed as a people. Their history really began as a nation of Israel because of their deliverance from Egypt. They were a special people on the ground of deliverance. And they were to place all the past, the immediate past, the 40 years they had just traveled, in relation to the beginning of deliverance when God broke the back of, of, of slavery, when God broke the power of the oppressor and then led them into this place where it is possible for them to live a life of faith, a life that is directed in obedience to God. So they were to remember the deliverance. My dear friends, tonight in, in all our backward looking, we are to remember that the life of faith begins in that hour in which he looses us from our own sins and makes it possible for us to obey his kingship and to follow him wherever he may lead us. When we look back, we must put everything in relation to that initial deliverance by which God broke the back of sin in our lives and all of its dominion and enslavement and brought us out into relationship with him. So often we fail to do this. We, we look at the incidents of our lives and the happenings of, of the days, uh, every day, and we fail to set them in relationship to the fundamental fact of our redemption by blood. And our relationship to Christ upon the basis of sin forgiven and peace with God. So tonight when you and I are going through some difficult times and we begin to look back as Moses is wanting the children of Israel to look back, we must look back to the most significant, most dynamic event that took place when we came to Christ. In fact, I, I read in Paul's writing in Ephesians when talking about the husband and wife, wife relationship, the filial relationship. And he exhorts husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The cross looms big even when Paul talks of the husband and wife relationship. As Egypt to the Old Testament was the most significant event in their journey, so the cross becomes for us the pivotal point in our walk with God. So we must remember the cross. We look at the incidents of our lives and the happenings of these days and we fail to see sometimes this most important event 
that has taken place. If the prophets, the seers and psalmists constantly referred the people to their coming out of Egypt, the New Testament writers as constantly refer us to redemption and to our oneness with Christ by the mystery of the cross. It was at the cross, at the cross, where my sins were forgiven. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. Have you been to the cross lately? Do you live under the shadow of the cross? Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. The blood that Jesus shed. It will never lose its power. And so Moses reminded them to look back at the cross. But secondly, Moses charged them to remember all the way along which God had led them. We see that also in verse 2 of our text. There is nothing more beautiful in the book of Deuteronomy than the different passages in which Moses insisted upon the guidance of God. In fact, Moses says, God went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in. He went before you to find a place for you where you would pitch your tent. The guidance of God. God chose the ground where they halted. It may have been rough, but he was there with them. He provided the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They moved when the cloud moved. They halted when it halted. Guidance. The map. In the wilderness. He had provided them all that they needed. As we read in the text, clothes that never wore out, never tartered, shoes. Boy, I would love to have a pair for those shoes to last 40 years. I just picked these up from the shoe shop this afternoon, put new heels on them. Food, manna, water, the necessities of life, shelter, Food, clothing. They got more, of course, but the necessities were provided for guidance. The cloud by day to guide and to shelter them from the scorching Mediterranean sun. The pillar of fire at night to warm them when the temperature drastically dropped. He guided them. God's guidance is just as real for us today as it was for them then. We had to look back and see the markers 
of God's guiding hands upon our lives. They came to Mara, the place of bitter water. But God provided sweet water then. He protected them from the enemies that would attack them. He watched over them, preserved them. Although they murmured so many times, yet they could still look back and see the guiding hands of God. There were resources, of course, placed at their disposal. He had fed them, preserved their clothing, as we said, and their shoes. In other words, their basic necessities were provided for. They had received a great deal more, but what he laid upon their memory was the fact that things absolutely essential for life, God had provided for them. The psalmist said, I've been young, now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Sometimes the cupboards will go low, but the He'll make a way. Amen? He'll make a way. For 40 years, in spite of all their murmurings and unbelief and, uh, and difficulty and suffering, there had never been a day when they had lacked the necessities of life. God provided for them. Yet, a deeper note in the text and in this injunction to remember are the lessons that God wanted to teach them. Beside remembering Egypt and the deliverance and beside the guiding of God and the resources at their disposal, there, there are some things in this text that are, that, that are so profound and, and at, a, at a deeper level for them to remember that I want to, to build upon here. Verse 2 also, Moses said that uh, he brought them through the wilderness. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. So the lessons, there are three lessons from that passage as well. Not only three things they had to remember, like Egypt and the guidance and the, the resources of God at their disposal, but the first lesson is that they might be humbled. Now that sometimes doesn't go well across very well. Nobody wants to be humbled. It's, a, it's kind of Almost an ugly word. But it's not what you're thinking. Uh, it's not being humiliated. There's a big difference, you know. But God would test them. They would suffer, yes. They went through difficulty, yes. They, they, they were in extremities, yes. They, they, they had some, some tough times, yes. But it was to, to help them to make them meek and, uh, and make them lovable. Make them humble. Sometimes we need that, don't we? They are to be broken so that they are moldable. Uh, to develop character. 
to be more like him. And so they were to be, God's purpose is to produce the character which is the opposite of pride. Humility is just the opposite of pride. And God despises pride. He, dis, he has a disdain for pride. It is one of the deadliest sins. Pride. And uh, I believe God wants to do that for us. And you may say, man, I'm in the wilderness right now. You don't know what I'm going through. Well, take the medicine. Sometimes we think more of too much of ourselves than we ought to. Hello. Reminds me of a story of a fellow who had missed his flight traveling from Los Angeles to Chicago. He was a big, big fella, big wig, you know, big boss of a, of a company, or ex chief executive, big, I mean, he, people look up to him. I'm a big kind of guy, big cat, whatever you want to call him. But he misses flight, and, and there seems to be uh, no immediate flight to catch. He has a big time meeting in Chicago, and he's heading, and uh, he's going to be late, of course, and he's, he went to the uh, attendant at the desk and says, is there another flight? And she's try, trying her best to get him on another plane, a different airline, trying to get him to Chicago, but nothing is working out for him. It's just one of those days. Couldn't get a flight. And he's frustrated. And, uh, and so finally he came back to her and says, uh, uh, could you do something? He says, I've tried everything. And I mean, he just goes back and forth to her, save this, nothing. And finally in exasperation he says, uh, lady, do you know who I am? And she thought very quickly on her feet and she got on the intercom and she says, Ladies and gentlemen, here is a gentleman here who doesn't know who he is. Would you, would you come and help him out? God humbled them. Humbled them. If a man is to be delivered, he will be delivered when he feels he cannot help himself. If a man is to be led, he must be flung into the wilderness where there is neither a map nor guidepost. If a man is to depend on God and lose his arrogance and his pride, he must receive his supplies from one who brings them from unknown sources, like manna, and like water from the flinty rock. Oh, there is beauty in humility. Humility veils its face and worships. God has been leading you into the wilderness to humble you, not to break your spirit, not to make you slaves, not to make slaves of you, but to free your character from all the things he hates, at the root of which pride is the greatest so that he can make you and me meek and lovable and humble. So they had to learn that lesson. There's a second lesson. He humbled them so that they would know what is in their heart. Oh my. You see that in verse 2? 
they were humbled so that they would know what's in their heart. I wonder, it isn't that God doesn't know what's in their heart, but God wants them to know what's in their heart. It isn't that God doesn't know what's in our heart, but he wants us to know what's in our heart. And sometimes what's in our heart isn't pretty. that he brings us into circumstances and into situations so that we would know the incipient evil that may be lurking in our hearts such as rebellion hatred blasphemy cowardice dishonesty impurity Greed, just to mention a few. So God takes us to places where he can refine us. All these may be hidden beneath the surface. Then he will lead us and lead me, lead you and me into places where they will be revealed so he can deal with them. So that's one lesson. There's a third lesson that he might be taught, that they might be taught that man does not live by bread alone. Verse 3. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, Jesus so beautifully quoted this verse, these words, when he himself was in the wilderness. Do you recall? Matthew chapter 4. It is a word here that is deep and powerful for every age. It does not refer only to the Bible. It includes it yet, but I believe there is something profounder, something greater in that verse. So where do you really get your bread from? You see, Israel, as slaves in Egypt, they probably knew how to sow the corn seeds and get bread on the fertile banks of the Nile. They knew how to do that. And probably where they're heading in Canaan, they would uh, know how to use the oxen to plow and to grow wheat. But now they're in the wilderness. And God has supplied bread for them. But even in Egypt, when the corn grows and the wheat grows, I wonder who makes it grow. We get the bread on the shelf and we say, oh, we just got our bread. Where did it come from? What is the life force and source behind bread and what we eat? The message here in this text, as, as, I, as I see it, and is that God is the source of their life and that's what he wants them to know. Man shall not live by bread alone but by the will of God, by the reality of God in their lives, that God is all in all, he is the total reality, that we, li he, we live and move in him, our total being is in him today. And if we can learn that lesson, it is not the material and the physical 
the things that they're going into in the Canaan land that really makes life meaningful. It is not the milk and honey and the, and the olive oil and, and all the things that they will inherit in Canaan that will make life happy for them. But it is God who is their portion. And so they should not live by bread alone, but by every word, every aspect of who God is. And sometimes we fail to learn that lesson. We are placed in difficult situations by which we will have the opportunity of finding out who we really are and also to find out who God really is and so finding life when we, we learn that. There will be days of desolation, yes. There will be days of darkness and despondency and despair. There will be difficult days, days when you think you are done, beaten at the end of everything and then there comes the light and the glory and the supply and the deliverance and God. Moses wants them to remember that. It is by these things that man lives, not by rose gardens and valleys and hills which they are going to inherit in verses 7 and 9. Let us sing the songs of deliverance then tonight. Let us remember the markers, the places and situations as has guided as God has guided them through. Let us remember how adequate his resources were and are for us today. Let us learn the lessons walking humbly with our God, knowing what's in our hearts and truly knowing who God is. It could just be that the backward look is really an onward look. It will be one that in the final value is an onward look into what God has planned for us. For there is a land out there flowing with milk and honey. God will keep us there as well as in the wilderness. You shall remember. The winter quarter is especially a long one. I've experienced a few of them. This particular one is particularly cold and sometimes dreary. And you may say it's just a cold wilderness, brother. Maybe. But God, God wants us to remember the the, the excitement we had when we first encountered him that drew us to him that, that brought us into that intimate relationship with him to the extent that he spoke to our hearts to bring us to a place like this so when things are tough remember Egypt Remember deliverance. And along the way, remember the markers, the side posts, the guide posts of guidance, direction. No place to panic. Do not be overwhelmed. But trust him. His resources are adequate.
he'll humble you, not humiliate you, not shame you, but it is to make you better. Amen. You learn what's in here, and you learn who he is. Amen. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this passage. Teach us what it means to follow. Help us to remember what you've done for us, where you've led us, and Lord, what you have ahead for us. There'll be those who will be graduating in just a few months, and they're wondering what's out there. You are out there, and we thank you. There might be those who are struggling tonight, and they need to lean on you and trust you for the next step in their lives. We think of Jaron Bodie tonight as I read his email of the progress he's making, and the resiliency and the tenacity he has to hold on to you, to trust you. We thank you for that. And there are others who've walked this path before and are doing it again. And we rejoice in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Bless you.